There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry scoops. Hey, Ducks fans, we're back. It's the Forever Mighty post-game show, uh, New Year's Day edition. It's myself, Patrick, alongside Eddie for today's show. Jason's out doing whatever, wherever. Um, family whatever. stuff. <laughs> but uh, this is not a hungover edition. As, as anyone who's listening live, this is well into uh, basically the end of vacation for most people. It's 5 o'clock here in California. We're here to talk about the Ducks and their uh, unfortunate loss last night in overtime at the hands of the league-leading Tampa Bay Lightning, one of the most deadly teams in the league, Eddie. Holy hell, man. They were this close, this close yeah. to not breaking our hearts, uh, but they decided to uh, start the you know the new year on a six-game losing streak. Yeah, it, it didn't feel as bad as the last overtime loss against the Arizona Coyotes, where it was uh, kind of a, a much more uh, heartbreaking game, back and forth, 5-4 final. Uh, a game the Ducks probably should have easily won and uh, gave up two, or actually they gave up three two-goal leads in that game. Yeah, they this did. one was, you know, this one, I think it always had the potential to be this type of game if John Gibson was on his game, and he was. Uh, he was great in this game. It was a goaltending battle between arguably two of the best goaltenders in the league in Vasilevsky and John Gibson. And, uh, you know, I, I went on the, the Bay Bolts uh, Thunderstruck podcast and I, I kind of 
threw the Ducks under the bus a bit and said that, you know, they're on a five-game losing streak, just allowing five goals to the Arizona Coyotes going in against the top-scoring team in the NHL, a team who's lost one game in December to the Winnipeg Jets in overtime. They've scored almost five goals per game in the month of December. I thought it was just going to be a massacre. No matter what John Gibson did, he would have to stand on his head which luckily he did, but the Ducks actually played well as a team. It wasn't like John Gibson bailed them out like we saw earlier in the season, made like 50 saves, and, and the Ducks just couldn't get anything going. I think this was one of their best games of the year, despite losing. Yeah, no, they played strong. I, I mean, you look at all the stats across the board. The Ducks were leading on all the offensive categories, and for the most part, uh, the Lightning didn't get too many good looks i mean because they did i mean if i'm steven stamkos i'm breaking my stick twice tonight because he probably should have had two easy goals with the with the abilities he's been able to uh, show in his career being able to snipe pucks in top corners but uh, john gibson man he's been something else uh when he wants to and it, it feels like he turned it on tonight man i mean all that vesna talk he's gotta know people are talking about it and i don't think he's yeah. the kind of guy that to get to his head or anything like that but i mean these are the two teams one goalie's in the spotlight because he's on the best team in the league. The other goalie, uh, not so much. John Gibson kind of gets love here and there. I mean, we all like to freak out and talk about it and blow it up when he gets a little bit of international or, or league-wide yeah. talk about being a good goaltender. But he really, really shown tonight, man. And this game could have gone either way, honestly. Yeah, he's gotten more press this year. It felt like you know we saw a little bit of people doing it last year saying that he got snubbed for the Vesna. Uh, we had Paul from Ingold Media or Ingold Magazine who came on and he was one of the guys who I think that's where the discussion really started heating up last year when he said that John Gibson had some of the best underlying numbers when you look at um, Pekarene and, and Hellebuck and Vasilevsky last year that he was really saying that Bobrovsky and John Gibson playing on worse teams were kind of getting uh, overlooked being nominated for that award and now this year you got a lot of people recognizing what john gibson's doing that's probably because the ducks are just not as good a team as they were last year not that they were good by any means last year but they had some other things to cover up the fact that uh, john gibson was just playing out of his mind we've seen john gibson on a, uh, on a regular occasion have to just be the best player on the ice uh, and win the ducks games this year and, and people have started to take notice and you, he's kind of made them take notice and you know, I think he deserves to be that favorite right now. But, uh, I mean, man, Vasilevsky played a great game too. Oh, he did. I mean, he, he's a great young goaltender, and I, I think they're going to probably battle it out, not just for the rest of this season, but probably for the next few years uh, as the, the top two goaltenders in the league. I, I wouldn't be surprised. No, me either. I mean, you get these other guys that pop in and out. Uh, someone, uh, Some media's talk about Halak, and I'm like, come on. I mean, he's had a good run here and there, but – Halak's nowhere near the elite level of John Gibson or, or Vasilevsky. So, no, man. It was definitely a battle of the goaltenders tonight. Um, the high danger chances favored the Lightning. They also had three power plays. That contributes to it. But 5-on-5, five five, man, the Ducks stuck with it. Um, and I, I got to talk about this first goal. You want you want to break it down because I, I have to go after a buddy of mine, a Patreon subscriber, actually, who likes to bag on my yeah. boy Hampus here. So... Go ahead. It, yeah, it was a, a defensive breakdown from a couple of guys. And, and I know what you're probably going to get into with Hampus Lindholm, but a, a lot of the uh, criticism on that goal went to Hampus last night. And I, and I don't think, uh, you know, it was a breakdown from you guys, but not just on Hampus. Uh,
We completely lost your audio, man. You're out. There oh, you weird. go. Okay. <laughs> I, where did I where did I leave off? You we didn't even get to the to, you started talking about the goal and you can you cut out. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on with my mic for anybody that knows. It's been a it's been a uh, a journey trying to get this set up and now it just randomly auto went on mute. So that's that's new. That's nice. <laughs> um, anyway, I was criticizing Brandon Montour. Uh, for getting walked more than once in this game by Braden Point, but he gets walked on the first goal, uh, doesn't recover. Not only that, Andrew Cogliano was slow on the back check, which you don't really see from him that often. He allows Cernak, who's a defenseman, to get up into the play, and Hampus Lindholm's forced to uh, defend a two-on-one between Cernak and the best player currently in the league, Nikita Kucherov, and the pass comes over, and Kucherov is not hes not going to miss that, especially the way he's been. Oh, I muted you again, man. I don't know. Just just take it away. I'll, I'll figure it out. <laughs> just switch to your laptop mic for the show. Yeah, so this yeah. play, it kind of leaves Hampus Lindholm hanging a bit. I feel like, it, you know, at the point where the puck goes into the duck zone, um, mistakes happen. You can't talk about Montour being a bad defender. I mean, he's he maybe had a rough game on a couple of shifts here. But there's not much Hampus, Hampus could do. I, I, and I want to blow up Chris on this just because he gave me a text about how like yo, it's more to, more than just you know keeping the puck out of your zone. You got to be able to defend it when it's in your zone. That's a correct statement. I understand that. But a two on one when it's happening right at your doorstep when there was no business for it happening in the first place, two guys lose their men along the rush, and next thing you know, Nikita yeah. Kucherov is burying a, a basically a one time wrist shot pass that was perfectly executed. It's hard for me to put that blame on Hampus Lindholm, and I've been critical of his play as of late, but, I mean, that was completely un- undeserved. Um, and, yeah, there's a lot that goes into making a great defenseman. It's not just about keeping the puck out of your zone. You're talking zone exits, zone entries, you know, things like that. You're able to keep defenders on the perimeter, or the, uh, the the offensive guys on the perimeter when you're playing D. That's all important. But uh, to criticize a guy on a 2-on-1 like that, that's kind of tough, man. I mean, and 2-on-1s are hard in general. So Yeah, there's been a lot of Hampus Lindholm hate lately. I, I mean, more than you normally expect. This is usually a guy who gets all the praise in the world, not just from Ducks fans, but from everybody else. But I sent you that uh, that post in Ducks Nation, uh, oh, I think a couple of days ago Jesus. now, that was saying that Lindholm is looking like the Ducks' fourth and or fifth best defenseman right now. <laughs> uh, and then now we've, you know, people were criticizing him for his play on the two-on-one in overtime against Arizona where, with Clayton Keller and the great play that Keller made just to freeze John Gibson. And again... Maybe not the best effort from Hampus Lindholm, but it's it's kind of tough to defend that no matter what. And not everybody's perfect at that. And then Hampus Lindholm, again, getting criticized on this goal when he probably doesn't deserve it here. I don't get it. I mean, th- this is the guy who has to play 24, 25 minutes a night. He's, right now, when he's tasked with doing that with Cam Fowler out, he's not going to look perfect. But no. I haven't seen him look horrible. And you know, for somebody to say he's the fourth or fifth fifth best defenseman on this blue line right now when you're that means you're putting guys like jake dotchin in front of him or uh jacob larson or josh maher who didn't look bad but you're putting those guys in front of uh front of hampus lindholm i mean maybe the only guy you could argue who's been better than him is brandon montour and that's just because he's putting up points and montour got walked on this play so i mean things happen in this game Things happen. I mean, things happen. He hasn't had an amazing stretch. He hasn't been the most spectacular defenseman that we've come to see. But it's hard to find guys outside of Andre Kasha who've just been consistently great. So, yeah. and John Gibson. I don't want to leave him out. And, and you know, even Ryan Getzloff's often slowed down a tiny bit, right? So, 
ebbs and flows of the game. People get hot, people get cold. Lindholm's definitely having a hard time. But as we all know, um, the, the defense has had a hard time this season. Yeah, but Andre Kasha, like you mentioned, uh, he stayed hot in this game because when we get to the Ducks' first goal, uh, he makes a great play to get that puck over to Nick Ritchie for an open net. The Nick, Nick Ritchie almost doesn't put it into the net because he kind of whiffs on the pass originally and then just slides it in uh, to pass Vasilevsky. He makes a pretty good effort to make the save, but Andre Kasha not only gets it through two guys, one of those guys is Victor Hedman, who I'm sure we didn't see any criticism on, on Victor Hedman being able to defend that two-on-one, uh, but I'm not sure who the other Lightning player is. I was trying to check the recap to see who it was, uh, but I couldn't see it. But, uh, yeah, he, he slides it through two guys to Nick Ritchie. Nearly three. Line. There was two yeah. and then a third covering Ritchie. Where's where's the criticism on Hedman there, Chris? If you listen to the show, you better pop out with some <laughs> criticism on, uh, on Victor Hedman. But uh, that line has been unbelievable for the last few games, especially. I mean, in that game against Arizona, they were the Ducks' best line, and they've been at times this year, and they get the only goal for the Ducks in this game, and, and Andre Kasha stays hot, too. Yeah. No, man, beautiful play by Andre Kasha. I mean, the fact that that puck even found room to get between those guys, honestly, was just it was beautiful. And then Vasilevsky nearly got a toe on that puck because that guy's got ridiculous wingspan with those legs. Yeah. But uh, Nick Ritchie buries it. I think that's four points in the last two games for Nick Ritchie, right? Goal and three assists. He looks like he's picking up yep. some steam here, so good for him. Um, and that's where you want to see him noticeable. We, we want to see Nick Ritchie up on the score sheet because uh, that's what's going to get him, you know, basically in this lineup to stay on this line. Otherwise, you're going to have to put him down on the fourth line or shuffle him around. He's got to produce when he's playing with a guy like Andre Kasha. I kind of want to talk about Nick Ritchie a little bit because we talked about him when he was really hot out of the gate to start the season. And then, he, you know, he's the talk about him was kind of dissipated a bit. Not that he's played bad, but it's just kind of moved, I guess, probably over to Andre Kasha and that uh, Nick Ritchie really hasn't got much of the focus. But if you look at his first 26 games since signing his contract and coming back and playing for the Ducks, he has five goals and 12 assists. So he's got 17 points in 26 games. Mm-hmm. If you kind of i guess put that across a whole season or at least just multiply that by three which puts him at about 78 games that is for 51 points yep. on the year for nick ritchie uh, if you just say he's gonna miss four games and if you want to put it out there he's gonna finish he would have finished the season with about 52 points and 15 goals and about 36 assists uh if he puts up that on a regular basis if this is the new nick ritchie uh, after what we talked about in the summer, him working out with Gary Roberts, looking like a, a much leaner uh, guy, his skating looks better. Uh, he just looks like he's more engaged in the play. Is like, is this a new Nick Ritchie? Is he is he going to be a 40, 50-point guy now? Because nobody's really talking about it. I mean, he's uh, at five on five. He's second in assists on the team as well, right? And, and six of his yeah. ten assists are first assists. So he's getting... Man, he, he's playing well, and he's he's getting in those chances, right, that he, that we need to see him convert on, whether it's a pass or whether it's a goal. And, I mean, he's – dude, he's the second-leading scorer of five-on-five for Anaheim. Yeah. And he's – I think that one of the big things is, too, he does it occasionally still, but he's not taking for dumb f- penalties all the time. Sorry, third. There was two people tied for second. So, still. Either way. But, you know, he's, he, he has 26 penalty minutes, I think, in, in 26 games, which is right on pace, which which he normally does. He's usually a guy who has about as many penalty minutes as he does uh, games mm-hmm. played. Uh, so he's taken about uh, a penalty every other game. So that's not too bad. I, I mean, you know, 
I think the, that's always going to be the way he plays because he plays on the edge. But I haven't seen him take uh, as many dumb penalties, if you want to call them that, as he did last year, which is a huge part of his game. But I just like the the extra, maybe not speed, but the the skating ability that he has. You can see it, and and just how he seems like he's he's having more fun, which is so, it's it's kind of cliche. But he just seems like he's more engaged. He just seems like he wants to be there. He's ready to play. He felt like a, a lazy player to watch before, uh, before this season. And uh, I just I don't know. There's just something about him that's changed, and he really looks like he's ready to go. And, and maybe he's not going to be the guy we expected still at tenth overall. But if Nick Richie's could all of a sudden be a forty or fifty point guy, uh, that's huge. I mean, that's what Corey Perry's giving us right now. Mm-hmm. No, and he needs to find that. He needs to find that game. We've been talking about it for a couple of years now. This is this is the point where he gets that new contract. He held out. Now you got to step up and, and earn that cash, right, and get and get uh, your place on the roster and solidify yourself as an NHLer. I mean, people were still calling for him to be traded. There were, and honestly, we did. Um, I mean, not to not to uh, to give away what we did on our bonus shows, but we all did our Seattle draft preview for our bonus show for Patreon. We talked about who we would keep and. None of us had Nick Ritchie protected, but um, but things change. There's you know plenty of time between now and then to you know, to make up the minds of Ducks fans, or you know more importantly Bob Murray, right on who he's going to protect yeah. come draft time. And Nick Ritchie, he's putting up 40, 50 points a season. That's the kind of stuff we were expecting out of uh, Ryan Kessler. So yeah. if he's able to if able to you know pick up the slack where we see the older guys falling off a bit due to injury, that's huge for Nick and huge for the Ducks. Yeah, for sure. And, and one thing before we get into this uh, this overtime goal that I want to talk about is uh, Kiefer Sherwood found his way on the top line in this game with Ryan Getzlaff and Daniel Sprong to start the game. And I believe it finished with Pontus Aberg and Kiefer Sherwood on the top line with Ryan Getzlaff after Randy Carlisle tried to switch things up. So he got the line blender going again. Um, I think I was a little bit surprised because it's not like Kiefer Sherwood's been lighting it up and, and they're just trying to give him an opportunity. You know, Daniel Sprong came in, he scored in his first game. They said, okay, we're going to put you with Ryan Getzlaff, see what you can do. Pontus Aberg, when he got thrown up there, uh, he was playing really well. He was putting up goals and they're like, okay, we'll try you with Getzlaff to see if that can improve or become more consistent. Mm-hmm. Kiefer Sherwood has one goal in his last five games. It came against San Jose, got fed a puck in the slot and was able to beat Martin Jones with a shot. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't get the move. I, I mean, I, I maybe you're, I don't understand you're trying to move some things around, but not only do you move him up to that top line, you moved him to his offside on the left wing. Uh, interesting move from, from Randy Carlo to try and spark offense, I guess. I didn't like it. Uh, it wasn't my favorite move. Uh, he's not a finisher in the NHL. Uh, Kiefer Sherwood, we would have seen more, more chances from him playing lesser opponent, right? If he's playing on that third yeah. and fourth line, and that's where he's scoring – I mean, not to say he doesn't deserve a shot, right? You got to mix it up every now and again. But I was just surprised by it. Um, I think if anyone deserves to play with Ryan Getzloff, uh, you're talking to Andre Kasha there. Um, I was, I was kind of, I was honestly kind of shocked that they put Sherrod on the top line because that energy line, when when he is playing uh, on that lower role, the checking role, you want to call it, that guy yeah. is a buzzsaw and he flies up and down the ice. You don't, you see him just full hustle in his stride trying to back check and get in on the four check when the puck goes the other way. So I, I don't know. I think he's good in, in that utilization. I mean, if he would have came in on this game though and, and put in a goal or two, you, maybe you had something different to say about him. No, probably. Yeah. I, I think if he does 
I mean, it's not that he looked bad, but I think if he if he gets at least a couple good chances or, or pots a goal or two, then we're looking at this maybe saying, is he going to be a permanent spot on that first line? But for me, I, I think I agree with everything you said about him being an energy guy and almost being a Cogliano-type player where, you know, yeah. he, he's out there for what he does defensively and his, his speed and using it on the forecheck and, and just kind of being a pest and, and annoying guys with that speed. Uh, he's more suited to put on the fourth line because he doesn't really have that offensive upside. And then, and then putting a guy like Pontus Aberg instead on the fourth line when he's the complete opposite player where the defense isn't really there. But if he's put with a guy who can get him the puck, he has a better shot and a, and a better ability to put the puck in the back of the net. So it almost seems like he's destined to play with Ryan Getzlaff at this point because Andre Kasha, Henrik, and Nick Ritchie have found chemistry on that second line. And it seems like they're just going to keep Kessler, Cogdale, and Silverbreak together just because they don't really want to split that up or do anything with that line. So, yeah, I, I don't get it. I, I think I think it's a bit weird. Um, at this point, the only thing I'd maybe consider trade changing is uh, maybe try Silverberg again on the left side with like Getzlaff and Sprong and see if that changes anything. I'm not sure. When is Ryan Kessler going to score? We're at Never. halfway point of the season. Never. He had, he a had five shots on goal games. last night. He led the entire team in shots on goal and wasn't able to he's bury a puck. Better. He's looked better. Like he's had a, the last two games, he's had a couple of really good offensive chances and he just hasn't scored. Uh, and, and the goaltender in, in Arizona, Aiden Hill robbed him on the power play. Yeah. He probably should have had a goal, yeah. but he didn't score. And he has ha- he had a good chance early on in this game too where Vasilevsky made a good glove save. That, that would actually came closer to going in because I think it hit the bottom of Vasilevsky's glove, and, and, and Vasilevsky makes some, some unorthodox saves sometimes. So it looked really weird, and I think it looked harder of, of a save than it really was. But again, Ryan Kessler in a good spot, being able to get a, a significant scoring chance, and I think he's he's obviously due for one. We know he's due for a goal. It's been a long time. What, what is it now? Is it 32 games? 34 games. 34 so, no, games. No, no, no. He has 34 games with one goal. It's been 25 games since he scored his last goal. So does I know our original bet was 30 games with one goal. Is it going to be? Do you think he he it, he gets to 30 before he hasn't scored a goal in his last 30? So in the next five games, does he score a goal? Is it a new year, new Ryan Kessler? Does he score in 2019? Uh, uh dude, the fact that he has one goal in 25 is that's rough. That is rough for him, dude. And not even just that, but I think he has two points in 25 games. That's not a good look for for him. Um, his ice time was down yesterday, too. He played, he played 15 minutes. Um, and maybe it's because they didn't have a, enough power plays to get him on the top power play unit. I don't know. But uh, yeah. <laughs> anyone who wants to, to hear me say this might think I don't like him. I love Ryan Kessler. Uh, and he was, he, was, he was such a huge part of of the excitement when he came over to Anaheim, everyone was stoked on it, you know? I mean, and we he was expected a great player when he first came over too. And it's not that he's not a great player. It's just that he's just, he's hurt. Uh, he's hurt. <laughs> he had an incredibly horrible injury and then having to relearn how to skate again and all that. I hate being tough on the guy, but uh, I hope, I hope I'm wrong. I hope he lights it up the rest of the way, man. The ducks need it and he needs it. Honestly. So it's been I, a tough I'm just happy to him. see him look, I'm just happy to see him look better. He, at least you kind of notice him a bit more. It, it's been really sad 
to watch that line lately and just they just get demolished every time they go out there and mm-hmm. they were um, at least when you look at uh, shot attempts they were one of the better lines for the Ducks uh, on the night against Tampa Bay which you guess you wouldn't expect when you look at they were probably either out against Stamkos and Braden or sorry Kucherov and Braden Point or Stamkos because they're on separate lines I'm sure Kessler's unit was tasked with shutting them down I would have to guess it was probably uh, Stamkos line and uh, a lot of that credit probably goes to John Gibson a bit too yeah because he robbed Stamkos about three or four times in this game and some pretty good chances but uh, you know talking about Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov they made the Ducks pay in overtime when we finally get to this goal here and uh, kind of a, a little bit of a broken play. Unfortunate. Uh, bounce. Yeah, it, it, it makes a weird bounce where it kind of bounces past Brandon Montour and right onto Braden Point's stick when Braden Point is in behind Montour. And then he just uh, muscles. like They said muscles off Brandon Montour on the broadcast. I don't know. I, I I, I mean, it is a great play by point to shield the puck and then also make a move to the back end to decal John Gibson. I'm not taking anything away from that, but I don't think it's muscles out Brandon Montour. And Montour is literally jumping on the back of Braden Point trying to take a penalty or just trying to do something. Um, but Point this year has just been unbelievable when he puts it past John Gibson. Yeah, I don't know what you want to say about uh, the play here when it comes to Brandon Montour. I mean, he whacked at the puck, he swung at the puck, and the puck just stayed in front of him, uh, in front of in front of point on that play. And Gibby got froze. Uh, you know, right? He's expecting a shot. Most guys don't come in and deke like that when they have a guy draped all over him. They're just trying to get mm-hmm. a shot away, and it's just a beautiful play by Braden Point. Honestly, that that was just a gorgeous goal. I don't know what you want to say about him other than. I don't. I don't know. It's hard to put fault on John Gibson in that situation, and it's kind of an unfortunate play for Brandon Montour. I mean, I guess you could say you pull a guy down, and then you get a penalty shot in overtime. I mean, you take what you want. It's yeah. just an unfortunate play. I, I think you don't pull a guy down there, and you hope John Gibson makes the save. So mm-hmm. I, I get it. You know, you don't pull a guy, especially a guy like Braden Point, down, who, who's one of their best players on that type of situation on the breakaway. Um, you hope John Gibson can make the save. Unfortunately, Point makes a great move. John Gibson has no chance. And, you know, it's a disappointing ending to one of the best games of the season for the Ducks against a team who's just on fire. Like I said, they had only lost one game in December. It was an overtime to Winnipeg Jets, who are arguably one of the best teams in the Western Conference, if not the league. You were the other team who pushed them to overtime and almost beat them. Uh, and they bullied some teams this year. Oh, you know, they're this so is a good. Team, this is a team again in December who had only scored less than four goals once and you kept them to two like this you know that's ridiculous and, and it took and again, extra time of, yeah and a lot of the credit of course goes to John Gibson and, mm-hmm. and probably most of it but this team it's not like they got caved in they actually were on top of the of the lightning for the entire game in shot attempts there were some times where they they didn't look great and in t- the lightning got you know some sustained period of, of time where they had a lot of puck possession but that's going to happen when you're a top team and you can go out there and, and on two separate shifts you can put out kucherov point and stamkos and you know you're going to get some time where you're hemmed in your own zone but this was a great effort for the ducks um, it would have been nice to come up with two points it is nice to get at least one and hopefully they can maybe get some momentum after playing well, look at it you know, on the bright side and say, hey, we just almost beat the best team in the league. This is how we should be playing on a nightly basis because if we play like this against teams who aren't as dangerous, we could do some serious damage. 
No, I would agree with you on that, man. Um, I guess to to kind of further the the offensive side of things, I, I'm trying to think of a way to put it, but they kept pace with them. They kept pace yeah. with the most potent team. You, you look at the chances, 5-on-5, five five, and if you want to get rid of shot attempts, get rid of shot attempts. Look at shot quality. High danger chances were there, right there par on par with the most dangerous team in the league. So two of the best goaltenders. Two, I mean, honestly, I think they're the two best goaltenders in the world right now, uh, yeah. Vasilevsky and Gibson. And we got to see them go head-to-head. Both of them had to make great saves. I mean, Manson was denied in front on just a – I mean, just a big body. I mean, Vasilevsky's a giant and able to get over, get the bottom of his glove on it. Gibby had to make great saves, like you said, to on Stamkos. And, you know, this is a tight game, and it was hard fought. The Ducks weren't buried, like you said. So, I mean, you got to take this. And if you duplicate that here on Friday against the, the Golden Knights, who are not the same team that we saw last year, um, although they have beaten the Ducks already, but they're not the same team. I think you have a really good chance at, uh, at at the game on Friday. You're able to duplicate this performance. Yeah. And and let's kind of get into that game. We might as well preview it here because it it is uh, an important game for the ducks. When you look at that, they're in that top wildcard spot right now. And I believe, let me double check here. Vegas. Oh, Vegas actually has moved in front of San Jose for now with uh, San Jose has one game in hand. But it's a big game to kind of gain ground on these teams. The Ducks only are five points behind Vegas. A win against them, you move within three points, and you're uh, just kind of on the outside looking in to get back in the, the picture for visions. Yeah, audio. The... Your audio is being weird again, man. Oh, You're oh, good. You're good now. Okay, I'm good. Okay, so Vegas, like I, like I said, they're not like they were last year. They aren't the powerhouse, I guess you could say, but they've turned things around a bit. They've won three games in a row. They beat Colorado 2-1, LA 4-1, and Arizona 5-1. So not the best team, especially the last two. You're going against two of the worst teams when you look at goals four, and they, Arizona scored one against you, and LA scored one against you. And then they have uh, LA today, actually, mm-hmm. uh, coming up in, in, I think, about an hour they play uh, the LA Kings. We'll see how that game goes. And then they get a couple days rest to go play us. It'll be an interesting matchup. It's, it's one of the, obviously the bigger ones when you look at the picture in the Pacific division, but I think the ducks, they, if they play like they did against Tampa Bay, they, they should have no problems. No. And they have to play that style of game. Um, the sharks are a funny team though. I know we're talking about Vegas coming up and previewing them, but what a strange team, you know, get Eric Carlson, uh, the, I mean, we all thought they were going to be this powerhouse in the Pacific. Lo and behold, a, a stupid Canadian team is leading the Pacific Division. Eddie's uh, Calgary Flames that he <laughs> picked here. Uh, and then they put up an eight spot against against the Sharks. The, the Flames put up eight goals against the Sharks in their last game, which is insane to me. So looking at Vegas, though, um, the fact that they've been able to keep up, man, they're 12, three and three at home. So that place is still just a nightmare to play in on the road. Yeah. They're, they're below 500. So that bodes well for Anaheim. I guess the problem that they're going to have it is they're running into kind of a hot team. They're on a three game win streak. They're six, one and three in their last 10. Um, and the ducks honestly are sitting at 500 at four, four and two. And we all know how the story's gone for the ducks. They went on a hot streak and then they cooled way off with a six game losing streak. But the Ducks aren't too bad at home. I mean, they, they're still one game below 500 if you look at overtime. Hasn't been nice to Anaheim this year. 
But um, I think that you're right. I think that you have a better goaltender in net. Obviously, Gibson's going to get the start because um, there is no clear-cut backup right now with Miller being injured, and they're not going to throw in um, a rookie when they don't need to. It's not a back-to-back. Gibby's not injured, so you're going to see John Gibson on Friday in Anaheim. And the Ducks have the longest homestand of their season coming up, and it kicked off last night. They got a point out of it. But they really need need to make a statement on this homestand, Eddie, in order to, to maintain in this division. They're the only team in the playoff spot right now with a negative goal differential at minus 18. So that doesn't look good. And that just goes to show you that the Ducks are riding on some specifics to keep them in. And we all know that's Chuck Gibson. Yeah, and I think one of the keys for this game is uh, this is going to be a different look Vegas team than the Ducks have been used to this season for a while it was William Carlson up the middle and that was it and they were putting guys there by committee and, and figuring things out um, Patch Reddy won't be playing I assume I'm pretty sure he's still out with a lower body injury but the big difference is now Paul Stadsny is back he's played 12 games now for the Vegas Golden Knights he has nine points he has six points in his last three games where he's gotten a goal and an assist in each of the last three now it's a, a two-threat team it's you've got two guys up the middle. You've got William Carlson on the first line, and now you've got Paul Stassi, who is also producing on the second line. Uh, they're a harder team to match up against. You're going to have Ryan Kessler, who's probably going to go against William Carlson because the Ducks are going to be at home. They're going to get the, the better of the opportunity to match up against what pairing they want to. But then somebody's going to have to contain Paul Stassi. And whether that's Getzlaff in his line, if they want to give some freedom to Adam Henry, Nick Ritchie, and, and Andre Kasha the way they're playing, or if that's Andre Kasha and, and Nick Ritchie and, and uh, Adam Henrique against Paul Statsy, they're going to have to try and outplay that line. So that that's a big matchup for me. Uh, it's a new look uh, Vegas Golden Knights team getting some help later on in the season with Paul Statsy coming back. Yeah, I'm not too afraid of this Vegas team down the middle other than Will and Carlson. I don't really feel that Statsy's the the you know the money player that that Vegas invested in for sure um, yeah. it's unfortunate for them that Pacioretty's kind of been a bust this year no that's been a tough pill to swallow uh I have a buddy of mine who's a, a massive Habs fan he's from Montreal and he told me he's like watch he's a cancer they're gonna trade him out of Montreal he's gonna go to Vegas and just be a total shit show and and Tatar is gonna blow it up here in Montreal and that's kind of what's happened <laughs> I've enjoyed it because I love Thomas Tatar. Not that I hate Max Pacioretty, uh, but he's also American. So yeah, I was waiting for the American to take my there. cause right now. Um, yeah, that. but but Pacioretty, uh, not not been good. Ten goals, nine assists in thirty games this year. Like I said, he's out with an injury. Um, but this is a guy for a long time was a perennial thirty goal scorer, and uh, just had well, the one bad season we thought in Montreal last year. Come to Vegas, given the opportunity to play on the top line for a uh-huh. bit, I believe, with uh, with Marsha Show and William Carlson. Didn't work out up and down the lineup. Got his spot taken up from Alex Tuck, who's been unbelievable this year. He's got 30 points in 34 games. But uh, big surprise. I'm kind of, are you kind of glad the Ducks didn't go for him because they were in on patch ready? And imagining, like, looking up what. Uh, we were high on the opportunity. The, yeah, looking up what Vegas ended up having to give up for him with Nick Suzuki, and I believe a first-round pick as well, and then obviously Thomas Tatar, who was just a throw-in on that deal. Uh, the Ducks would have had to give up a lot. Like we, We've talked about this before, probably Andre Kasha, maybe uh, you know Sam Steele or Isaac Lindstrom and, and a first-round pick, and you look at his production there. Not to say he would have the same production in Anaheim as he's having in Vegas. He could have very well had a better season, maybe playing with Ryan Getzlaff, but mm-hmm. you know, for a guy who's now 30, 
and you gave up. Uh, you're already a team who doesn't have a, a deep prospect pool. You give up one of your best forward prospects and a first round pick to pick him up, and, and he hasn't done anything. No, so that's good for Anaheim to not have to worry about him on Friday. Um, they got kind of a mixed bag for this homestand, so I don't, we don't need to preview every game. But just I mean, they got the, they got the Knights on Friday, the Oilers on Sunday, and then they get a two day break, and they have Ottawa coming to town, and then on Friday they get the Pittsburgh Penguins. So you get a couple of good teams, and then a couple of teams that no one's really expecting much out of, uh, outside a couple of star players, right? I mean, I mean, obviously McDavid is always dangerous, and Hitchcock's got a little more out of this team than what's than what they've been given. But uh, they're not a great team by any means, so the Ducks should have, you know, an opponent they could beat there. That should always be a fun game. And then Ottawa, I mean, they should trounce Ottawa if they want to play at the level they played last night. And Pittsburgh should be fun. So uh, interesting homestand coming up. Next 10 days are going to be some good hockey. Yeah, I mean, Ottawa and Edmonton, no matter how Ottawa and Edmonton do in their next few games before they play Anaheim, those should be easy wins. I mean, Mm -hmm. just looking at tonight... Ottawa's lost their last five. Edmonton's lost their last six. Yeah. So these these are teams. If you want to be in the playoffs, if you want to be uh, a team that finishes in your division, not in the wild card, uh, you have to beat them, and they should beat them. I mean, Connor McDavid is obviously that's going to be a tougher matchup than Ottawa. You got to shut him down, and and that's almost impossible to do. Um, but the Oilers aren't really getting much help from anywhere else. Cam Talbot's been horrible. He let seven goals against the Flames last night. Uh, his job's been taken by Miko Koskinen. Uh, but, man, th- this game against Pittsburgh is the big one for me, I think. And, and Pittsburgh's finally started to get things going. Uh, talking about losing streaks, Pittsburgh's actually had a, a winning streak. They've won their last six. They've won uh, eight of their last ten, I believe. And uh, Phil Kessel is going. Sidney Crosby's getting things going. Uh, they're actually getting some decent goaltending. So it, it's been looking like a, a good run of play for them. That's still going to be fun. Ducks beat them last time they played them, so that should be a good time. Um, and that brings us right up to, before we get to some more postgame stuff, I know you want to talk about World Juniors, um, but the, oh, we're having a watch party. Might as well throw that in here right now. There's our next Forever Mighty watch party. We'll eat the same lamppost pizza we always go to in your Belinda, and uh, it'll be on the 13th against the Winnipeg Jets. It's a 3 p.m. Pacific start, so show up. Uh, we're going to start putting it up all over social media, but we're locked in for there and uh, come party with us yeah it'll be fine uh i won't be there which is unfortunate but uh i'll be in, the, in there in spirit watching the game at home and hopefully the ducks don't uh have suffered the same fate the last time we had a watch party where they lost to the gold Knights. so hopefully that will be good um but you did mention will juniors and anytime i get a chance to talk about the world juniors i will take it so uh the big thing before, I, I, before we get into an update on how Ducks prospects are doing, the big news after um, Canada's 2-1 loss to Russia last night, which I know you love. Is that uh, Maxine, USA 1? Yeah, you, is that USA surprisingly beat Finland 4 nothing? I, I don't know how that happened. I was ready to grill you for them losing. <laughs> uh, I went into the movie theater. Canada was tied at 1. U.S. was up 3 nothing. So I was like, whatever, as long as Canada wins, that's fine. And I come out. Uh, it's now 2019, and uh, Canada lost 2-1, so I wasn't too happy about that. But the big thing was uh, I see Maxim Comtois trending. I'm like, well, that's surprising. He didn't score, so what's going on? And everybody, including Can- uh, Canada fans, are just ripping him for diving, apparently. And wow. uh, I, I, let me see if I can bring these up um, into the YouTube 
chat here it's into the video to show you but he has at least one questionable dive each game that people are bringing up um, but it got as far as people saying they should remove the C from him. Oh, brutal. Uh, nobody's looking at the fact that this guy does lead the team in goals with five. He has six points. He's third on the team in scoring. Uh, but, man, it's it's crazy. I'll work on bringing these up, but I, I'm, I'm surprised that even, like, Canadian fans are turning against him. I mean, there was a couple plays that I saw on, on Twitter, and it looked like he was selling really hard really really hard in that game especially being grabbed from behind by the helmet and his leg legs collapsed from under him he got shoved he got cross-checked a little from behind and he goes up against the glass and throws his head back i mean looked like he's really really trying to sell uh calls there and that's unfortunate he's a kid so and that's what all these guys are they're all kids in the world juniors um, I still don't i'm not going to condone anyone diving or embellishing at all i mean but it happens in the nhl too uh, and there's and there's great players that do it. So yeah. I mean, if you want to say anything about him, um, it's a learning experience. He's probably going to get ripped by uh, his coaching staff. I mean, and no one's going to want to promote that, right? I mean, I think. And if they don't rip him, he's going to hear from the fans. <laughs> no one wants to be known as that guy. So either no, way, he's going to sure. hear about it. We'll see how he plays after. I'm not going to worry about one game uh, with him doing that. Stripping the C. You Canadians are insane. I, I was surprised insane. too, and I've got them up here um, on YouTube to show people there. If, if you're listening on Spreaker or on iTunes or Spotify or whatever, um, I'll let you know who tweeted out so you can see it. But uh, he has one in each game. The first one was against Denmark uh, and Malte Setkov. Uh, he's kind of, I guess, at this point, he gives him a cross check in the back and then gets a cross check back from Setkov. Uh, kind of flops down to the ice, I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean. It's borderline because Sekov does turn around and cross check. I mean, it would be a penalty. It's interference. Uh, Comtois is obviously getting under the skin of some players. Um, we see a similar one later. This one is in the next game against uh, Switzerland, where Comtois is against the boards, and Kurashev comes behind, gives him a bit of a tap in the pants, and uh, Comtois goes face first into the boards. I think of all of them, this one is the one I wouldn't call a dive because you see his helmet come off. He does get hit from behind to the boards. He, I think his head kind of flips back because his helmet comes halfway up his face. He's got his, his chin strap up near his nose. So I'm not surprised why he, uh, he kind of does that there. Uh, this next one is in the game after this against uh, the Czech Republic. He's kind of getting in Martin Nechas face and Nechas gives him a uh, swat from behind and Comtois falls down and, uh, kind of falls heavily to the ice I, I i but again i mean i want to defend him because i love him right i mean we all love him and he's and he's canadian so i kind of have to but he's got the he's got the the chin strap up near his nose i mean that's that doesn't feel good and uh, you know he does fall to the ice which is a little bit much but his head snapping back there i mean no you you that doesn't feel good having that there. pop and, the head back but stay on your skates man you gotta stay on your sure. skates and, and here's the last one uh, in yesterday's game against Russia, getting under the skin of Clem Costin. I think this is the worst one by far. Uh, he gets a slash in the ankles of Costin, which uh, wasn't really necessary. The puck had already gone. And then Costin comes back and just gives him a cross check and he just falls on his back. And uh, <laughs> now I get it. I mean, I, I love the way he's playing when, you know, he's engaging guys and he's kind of trying to be a pest. I love that. 
but you know you don't need to fall on the ice to try and draw a penalty after that i mean you can just get under guy's skin eventually they're going to do something bad enough that they're going to take a penalty you don't have to dive to, to try and get it and uh, it sparks Clem Costin to say that uh, he thinks that uh, Maxim Comtois uh, was part of a circus and that Neymar, he likes watching the World Cup and that Neymar is his best friend. So uh, <laughs> I, I, without calling him out for diving, uh, basically saying he's a diver. So, Has uh, Comtois had an embellishment penalty? No. <laughs> so he's been doing it successfully. Um, but a lot of, uh, and, and I think the reason it came out last night is because Canada lost. Mm-hmm. If they had to beat Russia and come to us score the game winner, even if he didn't score, we would not be hearing about this. You might At be least not in, in this moment. capacity. No, you'd hear about yeah. it in the moment. You would be like, oh, you know, during the hit, if like when come to, uh, when uh, Constant cross checked him down to that, she'd be like, oh, that's a dive. That's the third time he's done at this tournament. Come on, you can't do that. That would be it if they won. We're hearing about it the next day now, and probably for the rest of the tournament, if Canada doesn't win because they didn't win against Russia and because they have to play Finland now in the quarterfinals, which is a harder matchup. And, you know, they got to look for a scapegoat. And it was a close game, a tight game against a really good team. And uh, Canada doesn't win the group because of that game. Somebody's got to get the the, uh, the scapegoat here. And Kant was the captain, and he's the one who is diving on occasion. And uh, he's the guy that got the blame for it. Yeah. On the uh, American side of things, though, not a uh, Ducks prospect. Jack Hughes is not playing. He didn't play last night either. So he's hurt. Yeah, he's definitely hurt. He's missed two games now. Um, you know, it's just—is it two or three? Is he missed? Or is it a secret weapon? Is it like we'll just—we know we're good enough oh, to make on. it through this group. There's Let's no just say way. he'll be fresh for the quarterfinals. We'll throw him in there, and now he's just got—he's got to play three games. He'll be good to go. He was a game time decision. And so that leads you to believe that his injury is not severe, but they're just yeah, like, they don't want it to get tweaked. They don't want him to get hurt. They want him to be ready for the metal rounds, right? When he, nobody's uh, when seen it matters. him. No, not many of these guys have played against him. Right. They maybe have seen footage. That's it. So it's like, throw him in, in the quarterfinals. They won't have enough time to watch video on him. He's going to see, he's going to dominate now. It's great too, because it's like, uh, you know, America can win without their best player. And apparently Canada can't even when they have all their players. So, We'll see how uh, how the United States does tomorrow and how Canada fares tomorrow. It should be fun. All right. Well, let's finish off the World Juniors with an update of, of uh, the Ducks players and how they're doing. Uh, like I said, Maxime Comtois, five goals and an assist in four games. That's good enough to sit in a tie for third in scoring with about four other players. Uh, I believe he's second in goal scoring, only trailing Ryan Paling of the U.S., who has six uh, Isaac Lindstrom has worked his way into the top 10. He's got five points, two goals, and three assists in his uh, four games so far at the tournament. He had a goal and an assist in the last game uh, in, in Sweden's win. Uh, Lucas Dostal surprisingly has been one of the best goaltenders, if not the best goaltender at the, at the tournament so far this year. Uh, out of goaltenders who, are, I guess you could say, are considered starters, so those who have played at least three of their team's four games, uh, he has the highest save percentage of any of them. He's got a 9.57 save percentage, which is uh, higher than the Michael DiPietro for Canada, who's second with 9.52, and then Finland's goaltender, who's played, I think, the only goaltender other than uh, Sweden, who's played uh, four games. He has a 9.34 save percentage. So Lucas Dostal's been great. And then if you're thinking I'm missing somebody, I am. It's uh, Ole Eriksson Ek. 
He has not played one game for nope. Sweden at all so far at this tournament. So unfortunately, I have nothing to report on him, which is a bit surprising. <laughs> I thought he'd get some games in there. Uh, but, you know, other than that, Lindstrom has played really well, which uh, we're definitely happier about. I know he was going to be a big part of Sweden, despite not playing on the top line at times. Comtois has been good for Canada. And uh, Lucas Dawson, I think the most surprising one for me, he's been really dominant for the Czech Republic. Has Comtois been that good? He had a four-goal game against a team that has never played in the tournament. Outside of that... No, Denmark's played in the tournament, but they're just not a good team this year. They're probably the second-worst team. So he, he hasn't had, a, I guess you could say, that a great tournament. Uh, everybody's numbers get inflated in, um, against bad teams, and, and that generally happens every tournament. Um, but, yeah, four of his uh, five goals and four of his six points have come in that one game. In the, the remaining three games, he has a goal and an assist. Uh, nothing in the most important game against Russia, but nobody for Canada could, could really get things going. So I don't think he, he definitely hasn't had the best tournament of, of forwards. And you say he's third in scoring. Yeah, that's definitely inflated from that one game. So I don't think he's the third best forward at this tournament. Um, I would say Isaac Lindstrom has probably had the more consistent tournament despite having one less point than Comtois at this point. And I would say if you want to compare him and, and who's had a better tournament between Comtois and Lindstrom, I'd probably say Lindstrom. Um, but mm-hmm. Comtois is right behind him. And, and we'll see. I mean, the quarterfinal and if the, if Canada moves on and beats Finland, the semis and the finals, those will be uh, big games for Comtois to see if he can really show that he's a big game player because we we've seen him in the past he's been a big game player in big moments he he scores i mean in his debut it didn't take him long to score for the ducks and uh, his debut coming back to qmjhl he scored in in the second period so he seems to score wherever he goes and Mm -hmm. he shows up in big games so so we'll see but uh you the u.s should watch out because lucas dostal will be starting in that quarterfinal game and uh, he's been on fire. So well, if there's that. any time to bring Jack Hughes back to uh, to snipe up on a, on a, and you know on a Ducks prospect, that would be that game. Let's hope they do it. Yeah, I'm not a Ducks fan in World future, Juniors. I'm a USA fan. Future Ducks prospect Jack Hughes. Right? <laughs> no Everybody future future Kings Hughes. prospect at this point, which is oh, scary God. and not cool. Not. So really let's just hope, hope that's not the case. But yeah, so there's your there's your uh, World Juniors updates. All right. Well, I think. We're almost done. Uh, one little last thing I want to do because I don't know. Is it like this every year where game 41 is on New Year's Eve and then we go into the new year? It. Yeah, I didn't even realize it until I was like setting up for this show that it was game 41 halfway point of the season. And so half of the games were played in 2018 and half the games will be played in 2019. I'm sure it's close every year because the schedule doesn't change and it's not the same for every team obviously because some teams probably haven't played 41 games but just so happens that it's like that for the ducks and it works out perfectly for us because we can do a nice little season in review uh the first it's a mid-season review while also looking back at 2018 so Mm -hmm. let's uh let's take a look at where the ducks are right now they've got a 19 15 and 7 record through 41 games 45 points which is good enough, like I said, for the first wild card spot right now. One point up on the Stars, who have 44 and with a game in hand. So after the Stars' next game, the Ducks could be barely holding on to a playoff spot by one point, and uh, puts them four points behind San Jose for third in the Pacific, five points behind the Golden Knights, who play tonight. And like you said, a beautiful minus 18 goal differential, which is the only team currently holding a playoff spot in both conferences to have a negative goal <laughs> differential so the only other two that are close are buffalo and montreal who hold wildcard spots in the east that have an exactly zero goal differential so uh 
yeah, that's uh, it, it's been an interesting year, I think. Uh, if you want to go a full span of 12 months, I would say the two major storylines for me, just for Anaheim alone, um, is the fact that somehow Randy Carlisle still has a job. Uh, I felt he yeah. should have been fired in that shark series immediately after they lost against the sharks. Randy Carlisle should have been fired from that. After just that series was so horrendous. He lost control of his players. Um, if he was condoning that kind of behavior out of his guys, uh, they're a grown man. I get it, but you still follow your coaching staff and they have a job to do and you're there to listen to them. Right. And it doesn't always go that way, but that was just a complete, complete mess. And Randy Carlisle deserved to get the, uh, you know the, the stamp of uh, being fired at the end of that and received his papers that night uh, they, after they lost Game Four. And the other one for me is, and we're not talking about John Gibson. I'm just talking about the the youngsters, the way they've been able to step up and fill in roles. Haven't yeah. looked nearly as bad as we thought they, that this that this might be with all the injuries here in Anaheim. Um, but that continues to be the other part of it is the injuries season after season after season after season. The Ducks are, just seem to always like to be at the top of man games lost. And uh, this year, the last 12 months have been no different. But uh, those are the major storylines for me, man. Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously, we all thought Randy Carlo was going to be fired after that series. Didn't get fired. And then with all the coaches getting fired around the same time the Ducks went on their, was it, 10-game losing streak at mm-hmm. one point? It was something and, ridiculous. Uh, he escapes that as well, and we've kind of resigned ourselves to the fact that he's going to be here for the rest of this season. The only solace, I guess, we can point to is he probably won't be here next season. Um, no, know, but he's going to be a, he's going to be a whatever staff something scout whatever he's going to be in the organization. Probably so because nobody I don't at this point would take him. I don't I don't think anybody else in the league would take. Well, I think Eric Stevens said it like he's even talked to uh, to Bob Murray about it. Like, yeah, Carlisle's going to stay in the Ducks in the Ducks organization. Sure. Put him in an organization where he can't really affect anything on ice. I'm fine with that. Sure. I mean, put him in a business organization. They do that with a lot of former players like Cam Neely's president of the Boston, the Boston Bruins. Don't know really what he's doing there. Is he really, really affecting what's on ice? Yeah, he got rid of Tyler Sagan, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or Peter Shirelli. Um, but yeah, do, do that. Sure, whatever. Bring in a new guy. I, I think everybody's excited for for next season. I know where this is a mid season review, and now we're talking about the end of the year and what's going to happen next season. But what what are your projections for this second half? So the next forty one games leading into the playoffs. Do you think the Ducks make it? How do you think the next uh, forty one games go? Honestly, I feel like they do. I feel like they get into the playoffs. They're going to get in on a wild card spot. Um, I don't think that they have what it takes to sustain any sort of prolonged offense. Uh, and we've seen that. It, it's, we're back to the same Anaheim Ducks that uh, was prior to the little hot streak. There's nothing consistent yeah. about this team offensively. They, you know, to, to put up four goals in a game where you think you're going to bounce back and take out the Coyotes, only to give up three straight goals and lose in overtime. And then you have a game like last night where if that was the way they play it every single night, I would tell you flat out that this team is better than than, than they've shown. But uh, they haven't been consistent in any way, shape, or form in there. Honestly, look at their record. It reflects that. It's it, They're very inconsistent. They rely heavily on just a couple of guys offensively and their goaltender. The defense has been kind of out of sorts, and they have no special teams. So I think if they get in, it's going to be wild card. They cannot play with the same record in, in the next 41 games, they cannot go into the new year and go 19, 15 and seven and make the playoffs. If they do, they're no. going to finish with 90 points, which is by far not enough to make the playoffs. Um, 
you know, I it, you expect one of these other teams eventually to get hot and go in front of them, whether it be Dallas or Minnesota or Edmonton or even Vancouver. One of them is, is going to start playing really well and move in front of them if the Ducks just play at the same level. You also can't go on a 10-game and a 6-game losing streak and expect to make the playoffs as well. You know, it, follow that up with a, a winning streak and 9 of your last 10 was a 13 of their last 14. That's how they are where they are at this point. They're a very streaky team on both ends of, of winning and losing. Uh, they need to find more consistency, Whether even if it's winning two, losing one. Finish the season like that, you make the playoffs. I, you know, I, I don't know how they're going to do it. Hopefully, Ricard Raquel coming back, Cam Fowler coming back in the new year, Corey Perry, whenever he comes back in March, uh, maybe getting somebody at the deadline. We'll see what happens. But, uh, man, uh, I, I don't know how it's going to look. This next few games after... Uh, so Vegas, uh, I think Edmonton, and then the, the next game after that, so Ottawa. That's going to be a big determinant to how the Ducks are going to do. Those are all winnable games. Um, so, you know, when you're on a six-game losing streak right now, you don't want to go into Pittsburgh, who's been hot, and be on a nine-game one. No. If <laughs> I think I want a nine-game losing streak. Randy Carlisle's still not getting fired. It's not happening. No, no. He's here the rest of the year. He's made it past 41 games. They could lose the rest of the games. He's still here. There's no point right now firing him uh, with 41 games remaining and expect something to change. No. Uh, I don't think – I would be surprised to see any coach fired at this point. You might as well just wait to the end of the season and ride it out. Uh, You kind of are where you are. You look at some of the very bad teams right now. Uh, You look at Arizona – probably not going to make the playoffs they're they're below 500 at the midway point i doubt it chicago i think they've resigned to the fact they're not going to make the playoffs los angeles st louis which is super surprising oh. uh they're bottom of the western conference team we expected to be near the top they're probably not going to make the playoffs oh they're um, done they, they're not making the playoffs yeah. they're out you look yeah. at the other side i mean basically you could probably look at every team below 500 right now unless they go out and win 10 games in a row they're not going to make the playoffs Mm-hmm. It, it's just it's it's just not going to happen. So the Ducks are right along that border where they're going to be fighting it out with a couple teams. Uh, I think it's going to come down to them, Dallas, Vancouver, Minnesota, and Edmonton on it, who's going to get those final wild card spots in the Western Conference. Because you look at the Central, those top three teams are probably going to still be there come playoff time. It's going to be Winnipeg, Nashville, Colorado. In the Pacific, you could assume Calgary and San Jose are probably going to be there. Vegas right now with their record unless they just fell off a cliff uh they're probably gonna make the playoffs again which is very impressive for them mm-hmm. and then at some point i i just feel like with what dallas has i i think they'll be able to consistently put wins together that they'll find them unless they trade possibly. tyler sagan to anaheim <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll see so so then it comes down to who's better out of anaheim vegas minnesota and edmonton and i think it's really close with those four teams except uh, for they, edmonton they, you can't I, I, have, I have such a hard time putting edmonton in that mix I, I do too, but um, you know they've lost six in a row, and they, they they still are able to just win games because of Connor McDavid. Just like Duck, the Ducks are able to win games because of John Gibson, um, and all of these four teams that I mentioned have issues that will cause them to either lose games or go on losing streaks or even go on winning streaks and and possibly get them into the playoffs. I, I think they all have their faults or things going for them, and it's a lot of inconsistencies among all of those teams. So. We'll have to see. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where they are at the trade deadline because I think that'll be a big indicator of what direction they're going to go for this season. I mean, the optimist in me would look at the Ducks' record and say they left seven points on the table in overtime and shootout, and you add those seven points, which is so easy to do for any team. I get it. But uh, you add those seven points to the win column, 
and next thing you know, they're top in the in the Western Conference. I mean, that, yeah, that's just at home too, so close. Which is really disappointing. All seven of those uh, OT shootout losses are at home. Yeah, that's uh, brutal. Yeah, so I, I don't know what their record is. I don't even know if, like, on overtime and shootouts on the road, I don't know how many times they've been there, but they've obviously won all of them because they have no losses in overtime or the shootout on the road. So I'd, I'd be interested to find out uh, what their record is in OT and shootout on the road. Um, we we know it at home. It's it's probably pretty close to zero and seven, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you have seven losses. There can't be that many more times they went to overtime at home. So, yeah, I, that that has to change too. And that that's always the thing that comes into it at the end of the season because of regulation and overtime wins, right? You look at that. The fact they have sixteen right now, which is lower than every team I mentioned. And uh, if you're looking at tiebreakers, and the Ducks have played more games than all of them except for Vancouver, and Vancouver has two more than them, so. That that's a big thing. You win even half of them. Let's just say you win three of them, and you win those in regulation instead. Uh, you've got three extra wins, so six extra points puts you at fifty-one points, and you've got nineteen on your regulation overtime wins. Uh, that puts you right on par with a, a lot of the wildcard teams right now in the Western Conference. So, you know, we can always look back and, and say they should. If, they, if only they had won this game, only had won yep. that game. If they if they had have gotten that extra point and. You know, we see it every season with those teams that have like the 15 overtime losses. And it's like, oh, my God, we left 15 points on the table. If we only had have got like six of those, we would have been in the playoffs. Or look at Florida last year missing out by one point. If they had won one game in overtime instead of losing out or won one shootout, they would have been fine. And uh, unfortunately, that could be the position the Ducks be in this year where they miss out because of those points left on the table. Have to see how this goes. Uh, before we get out of here, though, we got to talk about the winner. We have a winner for the Forever Mighty Three Stars. They won a jersey today. It went to overtime, of course, uh, down to the wire. Uh, you you kind of put it together today between the two competitors. You want to you want to get some feedback on that? Yeah, uh, I think this is the third time we've had to do this, which is pretty surprising because I think we've only done seven of these. Um, <laughs> we've had a tie at the end of the month. Um, so then we always go into a game, the next available game, whether it's the next day or after that isn't a Ducks game, just to get it over with quickly. And uh, they did the Winter Classic today, which kind of worked out perfectly. It was a, a fun game to do it for. And we had uh, the three questions for that. It was between uh, Tabernacle 1909 on Twitter and Squidman23. And uh, there was, uh, I think, one of them had Pasternak, one of them had Marshand, the other had 3-1 and 3-2 for the score. And then the, the final category was... Uh, combined shots for uh, the first two both of them were wrong came down to whoever was closest to the shots for category because i had some tiebreaker bonus questions and they both picked the same guys so <laughs> it, came, it came down to whoever picked uh the closest to the shots i think it was over 70 shots combined uh, one of them had 42 and squitman 23 had 52 so he ended up winning the jersey uh and he couldn't decide who to pick he's picking the ducks 25th anniversary jersey which of course everybody wants that one why wouldn't you i wanted it got it for christmas right everybody wants that jersey so uh if you if you're on if you have our twitter and you're hearing this now i don't know if the poll's still up but he's uh having a a vote on our twitter on who he should get on the back of his jersey between andre kasha ricard raquel and john gibson last time i checked john gibson is still winning so let me let me quickly update that right now uh, yeah, 95 votes. John Gibson has 49% of them. So unless uh, somebody jumps on the Ricard Raquel or Andre Kasha bandwagon, uh, Squidman will be getting a 25th anniversary John Gibson jersey, which isn't that bad. Somebody, Chris Hurt, had that this year as well. So 
That's awesome. I love I love that we can give away jerseys like that. Uh, we do puck giveaways. But that's our friends at Cool Hockey, man. Go to coolhockey.com. Check them out. They're the ones who provide that jersey and make us, uh, you know, able to give away just an amazing product. It's legit. Coolhockey.com. You know, you can get any, any jersey customized. It doesn't have to be a Ducks jersey. And you don't have to win it to get you know, a prize from there. You can go there and buy a jersey, get 20% off, which saves you a boatload when you're spending over $200 on a jersey. Uh, Just use our promo code FM20 when you check out to get 20% off your jersey at coolhockey.com. And uh, we got to talk one more second about the watch party. Again, it's January 13th. It's a Sunday, but it's an afternoon game. We got a 3 p.m. start. Uh, uh, Jason, I'll probably be there around 2 o'clock in the afternoon to set up. We're going to have prizes. We're going to have giveaways. But more importantly, we get to drink and eat pizza with everybody who likes watching the Ducks. And hopefully the Ducks come over with a win on the road against Winnipeg, which is no easy task. But uh, you throw John Gibson in that, and just about anything's possible. Um, and you get to start fresh this Friday uh, forever, for our Forever Mighty 3 star starting here in January against uh, the Golden Knights. That will be your first opportunity to try to win a jersey, just to kind of go back to that for a sec. But uh, that's it for us. We have some exciting things coming out here in 2019. Um, some new things coming up for our Forever Mighty post game show. So stay tuned on that on all of our social media Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We'll be all over the place, and we'll talk to you guys on Friday. Have a good one.